For 460 years, most of the Celtic-speaking peoples of the island of Britain were citizens of the Roman Empire. They spoke a Celtic language for everyday use and used Latin for government and official use. They were literate and lived in Roman-style towns. By the year 410 CE, the power of Rome was waning and incursions from the Picts and Scots, Celtic groups that had never been conquered by Rome, as well as the Germanic Saxons, Jutes, Frisians, Franks, and Angles were increasing. Britain turned to the Roman Emperor Herodias for help. The Emperor wrote back telling them to look to their own defenses. The Romano-Celts and their Celtic language were doomed. They would quickly be replaced with peoples from Germanic areas of Europe speaking Germanic languages. Podcasting from a heathen homestead in rural southwest Virginia, this is F is for Feo, a discussion of the runes known as the Old English Futhork, produced by Golden Comedy Kindred. In this episode, we'll go over some of the history of English and discuss why the Old English rune poem cannot be directly translated into modern English. Modern English is a highly flexible and very complex language with a vocabulary of around a million unique words. It readily adopts and incorporates new vocabulary, and modern English speakers also create new vocabulary by combining parts of words from various sources. Modern English is, for the most part, a mixture of Old English, Norman French, Old French, with some Latin and Greek. As an example of this mixing and a demonstration of the complexity and wide-ranging sources of modern English vocabulary, consider some of the modern English words related to cow. A modern English speaker can refer to a cow derived from the Old English, beef from the Latin by way of French, steak from the Old Norse by the way of Norman French, cattle from Old French, bovine from Latin, and bull from Old Norse. An Old English speaker would have been mostly limited to versions of the word cow, such as secou for the cow, and the cou for cows or cattle, and couflesh, literally cowflesh, for any type of meat from a cow. The oldest ancestor of any English language is Proto-Indo-European. This language was spoken by a nomadic group of people who lived on the steppes of Eastern Europe around 4,000 years ago. In addition to modern English, Proto-Indo-European would eventually give rise to most of the languages spoken from the Atlantic coast of Europe to India to Western China. As Proto-Indo-European spread westward, it fragmented and changed, evolving naturally and incorporating words from surrounding areas. Proto-Germanic developed in what is today the areas of northern Germany and southern Sweden and Norway. This, in turn, gave rise to several closely related languages. English is a West Germanic language, evolving in the western areas where Proto-Germanic was spoken. Old English formed from a mixing of closely related dialects spoken by the Angles, Saxons, Jutes, and Frisians after these peoples had moved to the island of Britain from what is today northern Germany and Denmark. This migration began in earnest around the year 400 CE. Although there had been migration from this area to Britain for at least the previous century while Britain was under Roman rule, the rate of migration increased dramatically when the Romans abandoned the island. Whether this migration was due to the loss of the Roman defenses of Britain, changes in the habitability of the Germanic areas in the continent, or both, is unknown. Whatever the reason, within a hundred years, substantial numbers of Germanic peoples relocated to eastern Britain and rapidly expanded across the island from there. This migration was so large that the original homeland of the Angles was completely abandoned and left empty. Prior to the arrival of these Germanic peoples, Britain was inhabited by Celtic-speaking people who had adopted Roman norms. These inhabitants were generally displaced by the newcomers or incorporated into the new Germanic society as a lower class. 
So rapid and so thorough was this replacement that within 50 years, the Germanic tribes were referring to the original Celtic British as foreigners. Also during this time, the Germanic people lost their tribal distinctions, forming seven kingdoms without regard to prior tribal affiliation on the continent, and began to refer to themselves collectively as English. The lands where they lived were known as Angleland after the Angles who had formed the bulk of the migrants. This, of course, became England. The displaced Romano-Celtic Britons settled in the areas of Wales and Cornwall in Britain and in the area of Brittany in continental Europe in what is today France. Interestingly, about a third of the army of William the Conqueror, who invaded and conquered Britain in 1066, was composed of descendants of these displaced Celts. Documents from the time of the Norman Conquest clearly show that these Celtic descendants were well aware that they were returning to the land that their ancestors had fled 600 years before. Linguistically, although there was significant contact between the Germanic tribes and the Celts, there seems to have been very little influence from the Celtic languages on the Germanic languages of the newcomers. This is in sharp contrast to the later contact between the Old English and Norman French, where the two languages blended and influenced each other significantly. Although Old English is mostly unintelligible to a modern English speaker, and only around 1% of the total modern English vocabulary derives from Old English, 98% of the most common modern English words are Old English in origin. These include the words mother, father, sister, brother, apple, deer, water, tongue, speak, finger, and foot, as well as all of the basic color words, all of the basic number words, several verbs, and all of the forms of the modern English verb to be. A modern English speaker who is speaking in casual conversation will likely be using mostly Old English vocabulary. Old English was spoken for a period of around 700 years and had four main dialects, Mercian, Northumbrian, Kentish, and West Saxon. What we usually consider Old English is the late West Saxon dialect. Modern English, as spoken in most of the world, derives from the Midlands area of England and incorporates more Norse influences than West Saxon Old English. Old English was not static and would, over the course of its existence, pick up some foreign words, but it was generally a very conservative language. Most of the loan words into Old English came from Latin. Old English remained close enough to its ancestor languages that speakers could converse with people that spoke other Germanic dialects on the continent, as well as the Norse from what is today the Scandinavian countries. The speakers of Old English seem to have preferred to utilize words from their own vocabulary rather than import new words from other languages. When they did use words from other languages, they would modify the loan words with the appropriate Old English word endings. The creation of acronyms, like the modern English word SCUBA, which stands for Self-Contained Underwater Breathing Apparatus, was unknown. When a new word was needed for a novel concept, Old English tended to create new words by making compounds of existing Old English words. For instance, when Old English speakers became literate and needed a word for library, they used the compound book hoard, even though the Latin root for the modern word library, librarium, would have been known and used by the church, which housed all of the libraries at the time. Other examples include banhos, for bone house or skeleton, cunerice, for king's wealth, for kingdom, year dais, literally year days, for a long time ago, and huya crafty, which is literally mind crafty, for clever. The modern English word gospel, now widely adopted into other languages, derives from the Old English compound word godspell, meaning good story. The Old English speakers used this term rather than adopting the Latin evangelium. 
In translating Old English, particularly something both poetic and esoteric, like the Old English Room Poem, direct translation is impossible. A single word can convey information for which multiple words in Modern English are required. Also, a single word in Old English may be ambiguous in meaning. Old English poets would use these ambiguities to create a double meaning in one sentence, which often cannot be adequately conveyed in Modern English without lengthy explanation. Although the vocabulary of Old English was significantly more limited than that of Modern English, the grammatical structure was much more complicated and prevents word-for-word -word translation. Words had to match in case and number to make sense to a listener. Old English pronouns distinguish between one person, two people, and three or more people. For instance, the words wit, unk, unser, yit, ink, and inser meant we too, you too, or you too, depending on what part of speech the speaker intends. The words for he, she, and it all had to match the appropriate grammatical gender and part of speech, as did all other pronouns and articles. Thus, ich fari ham, I go home, du farest hamas, you go home, wit farest hamas, the two of us go home, he farath ham, he goes home, and we farath hamas, we go home. Old English was an inflected language. That is, the function of a word in a sentence was indicated by changing part of the word. Modern English is mostly an analytical language where the function of the word is indicated by the position of the word in the sentence. As an example of changing the form of a word in modern English, we can look to the use of the apostrophe s to indicate possession. This is a relic of the Old English construction in which a vowel plus s was usually added to show possession in the singular. The apostrophe simply shows us the vowel has been dropped. Interestingly, modern English can show possession using both an analytic and inflected construction. Taking a sentence I just used, I said that as an example of changing the form of the word, which is an analytical construction. I could have said, as an example of changing a word's form, the inflected construction. The suffix ly is also an inflection found in modern English and indicates that the word to which it is added is an adverb and modifies a verb adjective, or another adverb. Although it should be noted that not all modern English adverbs utilize the ly construction, and the ly may be dropped depending on the speaker, but doing so may make an awkward sentence. I bought practically the last bottle of wine at the store is very clear to a modern English speaker, but I bought practical the last bottle of wine at the store isn't. Because it was more inflected language than modern English, word order was less important in Old English. For instance, Seknet Mesedon Don Ku, the boy at the cow, has the same meaning as Doniku Mesedon Seknet. There's no way to translate the second sentence into modern English without adjusting the word order, adding words, or both. The closest to a literal translation to modern English would be the cow the boy ate, which is not only awkward but confusing. To be intelligible to a modern speaker, the sentence must be reversed, the boy ate the cow, or altered. The cow was eaten by the boy. Although Old English word order was potentially very free, in prose writing and general conversation, the word order would generally be the same as that in modern English, subject, verb, object, the boy ate the cow, would have been the usual way that the sentence was said or written. In poetry, however, word order was much more free. Since the old room poem is more poetic in construction, this adds to the challenge of rendering it in modern English. Old English had a number of prefixes which modified verbs. The prefix ye was used to indicate that an action was completed. 
bay to indicate around or about, for to indicate from or as an intensifier for a verb indicating separation, on for up, to to break apart, ut indicated outward, and um indicated around. So, ich werte on das hus, I worked on the house, but ich werte on that hus means that I worked on the house and the work is now complete. Ich bewerte that hus, I worked around or all over the house. There's no such succinct way to express this in modern English. Old English had no future tense, only present and past tenses. Modern English also has no true future tense, but modern English has solved this problem by adding an extra verb, will, attached to the present tense of a verb to indicate a future occurrence. I will walk home indicates a future action to a modern English speaker. Old English speakers occasionally did this, adding the verb willen, but not regularly, relying on context to carry the meaning. Old English also had two verbs to be. These were bayon and wesen. Bayon was used to express something inherent or permanent. It was also sometimes used to express future tense. Wesen was used to express general or more transitory conditions. This is also the most common form of the verb to be in Old English. So, seosuna beef hot, the sun is hot, indicates a permanent characteristic of the sun, or possibly the sun will be hot at some point in the future, versus seosuna is hot, the sun is hot, with the meaning that the sun is hot right now. The Old English Room Poem uses the present tense form of the verb bayon to describe all of the rooms. While it is possible that this is intended to express future tense, it is far more likely that the verb is describing a perpetual truth about the room. For instance, feobeeth, Urbeeth, Thornbeeth, etc. While it is possible to translate these as Feo will be, Ur will be, and Thorn will be, this really makes no sense to do so. Rather, these are better translated as Feo is, Ur is, and Thorn is, but there's no way to further distinguish this is referring to a perpetual or inherent condition without adding at least one word Feo is always, or Ur is forever, or something similar. I've decided to simply translate the verb is, as have, I believe, all translators before me. Old English had no indefinite articles. Whereas a modern English speaker would say, I have a dog, an old English speaker would say, Ich habe Hund, literally, I have dog. The articles a and an in modern English are derived from the Old English word for one, and creating the Old English sentence, Ich habe an Hund, is literally, I have one dog. Sentences were made negative by the addition of the word ne in front of the verb. Occasionally, this was combined with the verb. For instance, ich ne habe hund, I do not have a dog, or he is quick, he is alive, versus he nis quick, he is not alive. Negatives could be freely strung together for emphasis. The concept of the double negative did not exist. For instance, he ne onierath, he never flees, and he ne ne onierath, a literal translation of the latter would be, he not not flees, a nearly meaningless construction of the modern reader, would have conveyed to the old English listener that the person described really never fled. Other modifiers could be strung together in the same way. The word swa meant like or as, so swa wind in the lef, or swa swa lind in the lef, both of which mean like wind in the leaves, 
but the second version emphasizes the relationship more strongly. Old English words could be masculine, feminine, or neuter. Each form required the appropriate article. The gender assignments here are grammatical and may have little to do with any biological condition. The closest analogy in modern English is probably the use of the feminine to refer to ships. Semona, the moon, is masculine and requires the masculine article se. Seosuna, the sun, is feminine and requires the feminine article seo. That urodotungo, the star of heaven, is neuter and requires the neuter article that. Old English includes five cases, nominative, accusative, dative, genitive, and instrumental, while modern English only has three cases. Nominative case is used for the subject of the sentence which carries out the action. He and he besea he, he saw her. Words on the other side of to be had to also take this case, as in the phrase weird as eal, destiny is all. Both destiny and all are nominative. A modern English speaker will use subjective case in this situation. Accusative case is used for the direct object, the object which is acted upon. Hai, in he besea haya, he loved her. A modern English speaker will use the objective case here. The genitive case indicates the possession of something. For instance, das hundis ban, have you seen this dog's bone, would be the best translation of, of this. This case is used any time a modern English speaker would use an apostrophe S, as well as any time a modern English speaker would use a prepositional phrase, such as thunderous god, literally thunder's god, for the god of thunder. It was also used to signify a grouping. A group of people was mana hip, literally people's group. Three of us was uri three, our three, and a cup of water was wateras kupa, water's cup. A modern English speaker will use a possessive case here. The dative case was used for an indirect object. Ich sialdre hire tone bell. I gave her the ball. A modern English speaker will use the objective case in this situation. The instrumental case was used to indicate that an instrument was the cause of an action. This case was fading from use during the time when Old English was spoken and was merging with the dative. It was also used without a preposition when the meaning was clear, as in odrenaman, which would indicate by another name when referring to a person. A modern English speaker expresses the instrumental case by using an adverbial phrase, using the words with, by, or using, as I just did in the sentence. In order to make an intelligible sentence, the number, case, and gender all had to match. If these did not match, the meaning might be lost or changed, or the sentence might be more or less nonsensical. These rules, of course, were not simply academic at the time. Indeed, native speakers of Old English would not have been consciously aware of following rules of grammar and speech any more than a modern English speaker in ordinary conversation is aware of following the very complicated rules and grammar of modern English. In translating the stanzas of the Old English Room poem, I will first provide as literal a translation as possible, including multiple possible meanings. I'll then provide an intelligible but non-poetic rendering, followed by translations from other authors which provide more of a poetic tone. I hope in this way to give some more insight into the possible meanings and interpretations of the rune poem and allow for the listener to decide for themselves how they would like to best approach the poem. Please join us next time as we begin our translation with F is for Feo. Thanks for listening to F is for Feo. If you like our show and want to know more, you can find us on Facebook at Golan Kombi Kindred 
or online at www.golencombi.com. You can also email us at golencombikindred at yahoo.com. We may read questions, comments, or suggestions on future episodes.